Hello again. It is so great to have you tune in today, Thoughtvolutionists. That is something I will never in my life take for granted. Something magical happens when people pause and give their time to listen to you. It truly means the world to me. And we should all do that more, by the way. We should give our time to listen to the stories of others, because there's a whole lot we can learn about them and ourselves by simply lending an ear here and there. If you are new here, I'm your host, Stefan Dubier, and every Tuesday I have the honor of sharing the stories of real people with the world. I've been doing that for more than 20 episodes now, so it's still fresh, but not too fresh. And if you have not listened to all of my previous guests yet, I invite you to set aside a bit of time and go back to those past stories. You won't regret it. Every story matters, and so does yours, by the way. Believe me when I say that I know what it's like when this giant world makes you seem insignificant. We are mere particles in the grander scheme of it all. But here is something truly beautiful and profound. We are all just particles. That celebrity you are following is not in any shape or form more important than you are. Neither is the billionaire who appears to quote-unquote have it all. We are all made of the same substance and we are all equally relevant and important. Just like my guest Charlie, he's a documentary filmmaker with a focus on sea life. Charlie says he's still working on building something he can be proud of. I actually think we will come to find that there is plenty in his life to be grateful for and proud of, because he also admits that there's nothing in his past he would wish to change his life for. Charlie is very much on a mission as he would like to build something that transcends himself so that once he is gone, his legacy can continue to help people and the planet as a whole. A life full of meaning and intention is what Charlie hopes to lead. When he was only five years old, he discovered that while other boys his age would snuggle up with a teddy bear or turn to comic books for comfort, he actually found emotional refuge in the most unlikely place, in horror movies. Yes, Thoughtvolutionists, you heard that correctly. <laughs> Instead of Winnie the Pooh and Kermit the Frog, Charlie was surrounded by Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers. I cannot wait to hear more about that. About a year ago, at the age of 38, Charlie learned that he has ADHD. It is estimated that adult ADHD affects about 8 million adults or roughly 5% of the population in the United States, yet many associated with kids and teens. Charlie will tell us about life prior to and past his diagnosis. What a unique and interesting person he is, and I am so glad we have the opportunity to spend an hour with Charlie to find out more about him, his life, his story, and his own definition of happiness. Trigger warning. This episode contains conversations about childhood neglect and abuse, violence, physical harm, and mental illness. If any of these subjects are a trigger to you, please prioritize your mental health and skip this episode. 
Hi, Charlie. Thank you so very much for taking the time to sit down and talk to us today. Before we jump into your story, tell us something beautiful that happened to you these past few weeks. My my dog is my life. He's been with me for 13 years now, and he recently got kind of sick, and we weren't we weren't able to figure out why. And uh, it was it was bad. It was very emotional for me, and I, I we were actually thinking that, you know, it could be coming to that time. <laughs> and uh, he and I have, have uh, we've traveled the country together. We've, we've lived together nonstop. We're, we're pretty much inseparable. And I, I even work from home. So he's by my side constantly. He's sitting right next to me right now, actually. And uh, he got really sick, brought him to the vet. And the vet explained that he wasn't actually sick, that he has anxiety issues because we had just gone through a, a pretty rough storm here. And the thunder apparently caused the his gut bacteria and like the microbiome in his stomach to grow exponentially, which made him incredibly sick. And uh, so, yeah, the the beautiful thing that that I can give you that happened to me this week is that my dog Face is his name came back with with zero issues after the fact. And any time that something good happens when it comes to him is the best thing that I could ever ask for. I can very much relate to that. I have a 16-year-old chihuahua, and I fear greatly every single time he sneezes or just walks funky or has anything going on because, yeah, I he traveled the world with me, and he's been in my life for, yeah, 16 years. So I can I can very, very much relate to that. Now, I know your life greatly revolves around movies, and we will touch on that shortly, but... If you had to turn your own life into a movie, what would be its title? Who would play you? And what song would be the opening theme for that movie? Yeah, this this question's wild. If I had to go with a title, it would it would probably be Chaos of the Mind. Having recently been diagnosed with ADHD, it's it's pretty much what's happening in my head constantly. It's just one thing after the other different conversations going on in my head, never able to focus on much of anything. So yeah, chaos of the mind sounds like it fits. The actor, not that I I think I deserve this, but I would love to see Jack Black play me. I think that'd be so much fun to watch. And the song, anything by Nickelback, just because it would annoy everyone. You mentioned your work as a documentary filmmaker, where you focus primarily on sea life. What fascinates you about that? I imagine it being profound, the closeness to something that we as human beings to this day know so very little about. As far as ocean life and, and just the ocean in general goes, I, I've lived by the, by the beach my, my entire life. I grew up in Jersey near, near the water, spent as much time as possible near the ocean. Uh, I moved from Jersey to California, lived right near the, the beach, moved from California to Florida, lived right near the beach. 90, 99% of my life has been spent near the ocean. And I've always felt a very strong connection with the ocean. And even when I'm in the water, it feels like home to me. It's not, it's not a, a fun day at the beach. It's not a vacation. It's where I prefer to be at all times because it, it's, comfort, it's comforting to me. The, the ocean is home to me as strange as that sounds i mean it's not like i'm i'm 
growing gills and flippers anytime soon. Although if I could, I would definitely go for that. Um, I tell everyone all the time, if, if I could live somewhere and never have to leave, it would be deep down in the ocean. I just, there's, there's no place in the world that I feel happier or just more comfortable than the ocean. And that's, that's a big part of the reason why what I want to focus on is sea life. I don't, I don't believe there's anything more fascinating than what's in and what comes out of our oceans. And we've explored so little of it that there's, I mean, who knows, who knows what we're going to find when we explore more and the entire planet, we, we couldn't be what we are we couldn't live the way we do. We couldn't survive without it. And I think that's one of the most interesting things about it is how important it is to survival of of everyone this might be very fitting because let's take a deep dive back into your childhood can you tell us more about your life growing up your family your experience as a kid childhood was was an interesting time i say interesting and i I, what i mean is terrible (laughs) i grew up in a household where one of my parents was an alcoholic and the other one was an addict and my that was uh, my mother was an alcoholic and my my stepfather was an addict my biological father was gone before i was born or maybe the day of i'm not really sure but it wouldn't have been it, it wasn't a crazy thing for me to walk downstairs and and see my stepfather sitting there and and uh, a needle be hanging out of his arm or having to put a blanket over my mother because she passed out drunk on the couch it just stuff like that I was the oldest of three other siblings. I had three younger sisters. And a lot of times I felt that it was my job to, I guess, provoke certain situations so that it wasn't happening to them or my mother for that matter. I, I mean, she she wasn't an alcoholic because she wanted to be. She drank to cope with the home situation. And my stepfather, was a, he was a violent guy he took that out on me and my mother a lot and there were times when i would cry because i had to go home or i'd actually i remember one time i i hid in my grandmother's bathroom for about a half hour just hysterical crying because they were just all they were trying to do was get me to go home but i mean the, the physical abuse was a big part of it and it was it was rough sometimes uh before the age of 13 years old i had been pushed downstairs thrown into walls, uh, choked. I had a, I had a cigarette put out on me when I was like 10 years old, all by my stepfather. (laughs) Yeah. And, um, it all, it all kind of came to a head, uh, when I was 13 or 14 and he, um, something had happened in the kitchen and he swung the refrigerator door open and hit my mother with it on purpose. And I just, I, I don't know what came over me, but I lost it and I exploded and I jumped on top of him and I just started pounding on his back as it it was, it was an ugly scene. And I, I told him that day, I I flat out said, if, if you, if you stay here one more day, you're not going to wake up tomorrow. So I wouldn't stay here or at least I wouldn't sleep because I'll be up all night. And the next day he was gone. (laughs) So I was, uh, yeah, and honestly, I, I don't have many memories from childhood. According to my therapist, it's a defense mechanism. And the whole being pushed down a flight of stairs thing, I didn't even remember that happening. My sister had told me that that, that happened to me. So, yeah, I, I, uh, I let me tell you, speaking to a therapist, hands down the best decision that I have ever made. And I feel that everyone 
should talk to a therapist at least at some point in their lives. It's it's definitely uh, the most helpful thing that anyone can do for themselves. First of all, let me say that I'm very very sorry, Charlie. I'm I'm very sorry that it took all of that pain to get through to become the person you are now. But I will also say you can be damn proud of the person you are now and that you have overcome all of this. Now I wonder, what is your relationship like now with your sisters, with your mom, with that stepdad? What can you tell us about that? The majority of my family and I don't speak anymore. I, growing up, we had a very large, we were a very large Italian family in Jersey. And I didn't realize this back then, but the, the majority of my family, they were very much out for themselves. And a lot, a lot was going on behind the scenes, if you will. <laughs> and, you know, the kids weren't privy to any of that. And as I got older, I saw a lot of, a lot of things changing with every member of my family. And so I distanced myself from them, uh, my extended family, I mean, my cousins, my aunts, uh, uncles, all that. Yeah. So I, I did that. I was making what I believed to be a healthy choice for myself. And my, my stepfather, he, he passed away when I was probably 25, maybe. And I, I remember the day I remember hearing about it and I remember exactly how it all happened. I was, I was driving home from work and I got a text and it was from my, my sister and she had told me, and I, I hadn't really talked to him since I was about 13 or 14 years old. And this is now going on almost 10 years later. And I got the text and I, I was not a crier. I'm still not, I have an unhealthy relationship with crying. <laughs> and at, at that point, the last time I had cried was probably when I was a kid living with him. And I remember reading the text and having to pull over in my car because I just started sobbing. I was, I was a mess when I found out that he died. And th this might sound off to your listeners, but the, the reason I was crying was because I was so overjoyed with happiness that I didn't know how to express it in any other way than tears. I'd never experienced happiness in that way before. And at the same time, I felt bad because I was so happy. And all I could think was that 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 guy can't hurt people anymore. And that's that's one gone that is just making the world a worse place than it needs to be. As far as my mother and my three sisters, the oldest of the three, she went off on her own and, and kind of cut everyone off to a degree. And so I haven't I haven't talked to her in probably 15 years now. She's she's got a lot of her own issues that she's dealing with. She's bipolar, uh, refuses to take meds, issues with, with jail. And she's just, uh, yeah, there, there's no one's been able to get through to her. And then my other two sisters and my mother, the youngest of, of the three, she's doing great. We don't really talk that much, but there's, you know, we're, we're not very close because I had moved out of my house before she was even old enough to talk. Uh, I moved out of my house when I was 15 or 16 to live with a friend. Once I got a car, I lived in my car for a little while. So I didn't have a lot of time to spend with my two younger sisters. But later in life, the the middle sister, she and I got close. And we, uh, up until two weeks ago, we we talked pretty much every day for the last 20 years. But um, 
most recently situation arose that I talked about my past on social media. I have a healthy following on a, a an app and I wanted to share my story because I thought it could be helpful to some people. And my mother and sister both saw the video that I put up and they lost it on me. They flipped out because it, it doesn't paint my mother in the best light, obviously. And my mother and I have a, a sordid relationship and I have a hard time dealing with her, even though we've never lost contact. We've never, you know, th there's, there's always been tension on my side mostly, but I love my mother and she's still very much in my life. But because of that video, uh, she stopped talking to me along with my sister also stopped talking to me and I haven't talked to them in a couple of weeks. And I, I really don't know what's going to happen with that at this point. The main reason I, I I feel that way about it is because we had some pretty rough weather here the other day. I had mentioned about my, my dog. And uh, one thing my mother is adamant about is if there's any potential sign for possible tornado, she automatically texts me just to make sure that I'm I'm not being, you know, Dorothy away. And um, it, without fail, it's like clockwork. And I got nothing this time around. So. I'm not really sure what's uh, what's going on with that relationship. I uh, at, at this point, it's starting to feel like I may be without family. Well, not without family. I have family, but without blood relatives anyway. And I'm lucky enough, though, to have amazing friends and an amazing girlfriend, and who has a daughter who I love very much. And uh, you know, we're we're all very happy together. Clearly, we have to talk about you as a five-year-old boy finding comfort in horror movies. With everything that you had going on around the house, it's not really surprising that you would turn to a more unlikely place for comfort because you couldn't find it in what should have been the most likely place, your own home. How did that come about? And do you still remember the first time you watched a horror movie? Which movie was it and what was that like? Yeah, so the uh, the story behind this is, uh, I mean, it, it shaped a lot of who I am today just to get right into it I was yeah I was around five years old and I was I guess it was later at night and I was supposed to be in bed and my mother was out in the living room watching a movie and I was being a child and trying to get her attention for whatever reason and I guess I was annoying her <laughs> and so rather than her comforting me or trying to see what was wrong she decided that it would be a good idea to i guess try to teach me a lesson or punish me in some way so that i wouldn't do it again and so she made me sit down and watch the movie with her the movie was child's play and definitely in my opinion not a movie a five-year-old should be watching so i i sat there you know watching this movie and rather than being scared and not wanting to repeat the actions of what I what got me to the position in the first place I was fascinated by the movie I I fell in love with with the the emotion that it it brought out in me and I I was excited by it and I just I I was I was glued and there was there was just something about watching other people and I, I, this is something that i didn't realize until later in life i was too young i guess to to understand why i felt the way i did but 
growing up in the type of house that I did with no one around me to talk to about it or comfort me in any way or, you know, kind of release any of that energy towards or or with, I I saw in that movie that other people were suffering and other people were scared and I felt less alone. I felt like I'm not the only one dealing with this. So if they can survive, not that everyone in the movie survived, but, but, but if, if they can survive that horrible thing, then I can survive what I'm going through. And it, it helped, it helped so much. And to the point where even a little bit later, I was around seven years old and the, the show tales from the crypt was on TV and I would sneak out of my bedroom at night to go in the living room by myself in the dark and watch tales from the crypt. Then there was a show called monsters that ran for one season. If any of your listeners know what monsters is, give them major credit. Cause that is, that is a deep cut, <laughs> but that whole, that whole situation, I didn't, I didn't realize it back then either, but it, it was going to be the catalyst for, for the majority of my life moving forward. After seeing a horror movie, and beginning to watch horror movies more on a regular basis, the violence, the dramatic elements, the fear, do you think that altered you as a child in any way? Or do you think that perhaps experiencing violence around you in your everyday life anyway had anything to do with you not responding with fear or horror or, yeah, nightmares, I imagine? So... You said the word nightmares and I love it because, and I, I will, I will talk about everything involving your question, but nightmares to me specifically are one of the best things in the world. And I know that sounds crazy. Trust me, I get it because anyone I've ever talked to about this says that it sounds crazy, but to me, a nightmare is just a movie. It's a movie that on occasion I can actually control and be a part of. When you're, when you're sleeping and you're in that deepest of sleep and, you know, there are parts of your dreams that you actually at least feel like you're in control of, most of the time people are going to be excited about like a fun dream or a happy dream or a dream that involves family and friends. But for me, if I'm dreaming about being locked in someone's basement and there being a demon down there, that's a movie that I get to be a part of for real and also do it safely. So I love having nightmares. It's one of my favorite things. <laughs> Again, I, I know that doesn't sound normal, but I mean, I'm very much not, not normal. As far as the violent aspect of, of films like that, yes, I, I mean, having grown up, and this is honestly not something I've thought about until your question, having grown up in a violent household and later in life for a stretch of time, actually becoming violent myself. I, I don't feel that film had anything to do with that part of, of who I, I was. I don't, I don't think that the violence came from any of that. I do, however, think that now that I'm thinking about it, I do think that the fact that I lived violence, that it made it much easier for me to not accept it in the movies, but understand it. So yeah, I, I think that it probably dulled the effects on me. If I, if I saw someone getting beat up or stabbed or, or whatever it, the case may be in any movie I was watching, I probably did not react the same way that a child at that age would because I was seeing violence 
all the time in my own house. Most of the time, you know, I was experiencing it. So to see other people experiencing it, it wasn't like, oh my God, I can't believe that just happened to that person. It was, oh, wow, I remember when that happened to me. Talking to you now, I see a wonderful and actually very kind-hearted person, somebody who goes to therapy, who tries to work through his traumatic experiences. You did mention that you, at some point in your life, became a violent person yourself. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? When it comes to how I acted as a kid and, you know, into my late teens, I, I was very angry all the time. I had, I had a horrible temper issue and it was sometimes very, very difficult for me to control. And, but I also at the same time knew that I didn't want to hurt someone, anyone really, but I especially didn't want to hurt someone who didn't deserve it. I understood what happened to me growing up and I took what I learned from the people that were hurting me and made a decision to not be like them at a young age. And in my young brain, I don't think I really understood how to handle that thought process. So rather than just not being violent, I took out my anger and frustration on people who I felt deserved it. So just for example, it, in school, high school at that point, I think if I saw someone was being picked on, I would become violent and, and I would take that out on the person that was picking on the other person. I would also start fights with large groups of people just because they had a way about them that was affecting other people negatively. Uh, there were a couple of occasions where I was in the middle of a very dangerous scenario surrounded by numerous people. And I was just going and going and going and egging the whole situation on until it, it became physically violent. And I think a, a part of, a part of that especially came from me still feeling like I might deserve pain because there, there were times when I would get in a fight with someone who I knew I had zero chance of walking away happily. And I, I would just do it to, to do it. But the one thing I will say as far as any of that goes is I was never a bully. I, I think bullying is disgusting and I always punched up. Now there are killers who are said to have been inspired by horror movies. I'm not sure that the movies are really what is to blame. And I know we're having the same discussion about video games, etc., etc. But what are your thoughts? And what do you think kept you from taking inspiration from those horror movies to commit any any crimes or any acts of that nature? I mean, yeah, I have my own thoughts about, about this. And who knows if I'm right? There's no way for me to know. I'm I'm not uh I'm not a, a doctor or therapist or anything like that. So but I, I truly believe that anyone that can do something horrible like like kill someone else or and I'm I'm not referring to self-defense or anything like that. I'm talking about like just for example, a serial killer. They can say that they did it because of the movie or they were inspired by the movie or any any number of, of, of things, but I feel that it was in them already. That is who they were. And movie or not, it would have eventually happened. One way or another, something would have inspired them to do it. It just so happens that that is what happened to be in that placeholder at that moment. So that that's how I feel about that. I don't, I don't feel like, I don't feel that 
horror movies are the reason why I've done what I've done or I am who I am. I just feel like that happened to be what was in the moment and that affected me the way that it did. And I always had the ability to be who I am, do the things that I've done. It just so happens that the horror movie randomly pushed that button. But it could have been any number of things that pushed that button as well. If Charlie today could take a remote control and travel back in time to some of the scenes of your own life that you had to experience, the violence, the confrontations with your stepfather, and if you could hit a pause button and unpause yourself and have a conversation with yourself, with your younger self in that situation, what would you tell yourself? If, if given that opportunity, I wouldn't go back. And that might sound callous to a, to a kid who, who a, a grown man could possibly help. But I, I know myself now and back then. And A, I wouldn't have taken the advice anyway. <laughs> and, and B, any little bit of change could alter what is happening now. I, I wouldn't change anything. I would go through all of it over and over again to be where I am and who I am today. What would be your message to any teen or child out there in this world full of violence, hatred, and uncertainty? What would be your words of comfort? I guess the, the first thing that I would say is don't be scared to ask for help from the outside. That was, that was a big issue that I had. I, I didn't, I never asked for help when I was a kid. I always handled everything on my own. Uh, I was too scared to let anyone else know what was going on. Uh, I was, I was more taught to be ashamed and, and feel guilty myself about how our, our family was than to be comfortable enough to talk to other people about it. So yeah, I, I think the most important thing that a kid that grew up the way that, that is growing up the way that I grew up is to realize that there are people out there that want, not just can, but want to help them. And that it's important that they feel comfortable asking those people for help. Beyond that, I mean, I think the most important thing that anyone, not even just a kid, but anyone can, can try to, to do or be is good. Just, just be good. Be a good person. Be a good friend. Be good to, to everyone you can be good to at all times. Even the people that aren't, aren't the nicest to you, be good to them. And that's not to say let people abuse you or let people take advantage of you. You have to know and understand that being good to someone is not the same as, as allowing them to hurt you. You can be good to someone and also set boundaries. And setting boundaries is something that I've, I've actually never really struggled with. I've always been pretty headstrong when it came to boundaries. And I think they are probably the healthiest thing that, that anyone can incorporate into their lives. But yeah, just be good, do good, and understand that boundaries are also a, a good thing. And if we have parents out there listening, thinking, hey, Charlie's a cool dude, and perhaps those parents have a child around the same age that you were when you began watching horror movies, would you advise them to replace the nightly bedtime story with a rendition of Chucky the Conjuring or It? And where would you draw the line? What about violent video games? 
What common sense protections for our children's eyes, ears, and minds do you believe we need to have in place? I just want to say that I, I love this question. I think it's a really important question to ask. I also think that it needs to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. I don't think what's good for one child is going to be good for the next child. There are some kids that should be, and again, this is just all my opinion, but I, I feel that there are some kids that should be moved as far away from from things like horror and violent video games and, and things like that as possible. And I feel like there are other kids who should be introduced and their parents should nurture that part of them. I think it's it's the parent's job to gauge whether or not their kid can handle it. As far as maybe something like child's play or something more on the violent side like that, five years old, in my opinion, I think I think we got lucky with, with that turning out the way it did. But I, I think that might be a little young to show something as violent as a movie like that. And I, I, even that, though, is not a guarantee. There are obviously going to be other kids that would handle it the same way I did, or maybe some even better, who knows, but some definitely worse. And if you're going to, if you see that your child has an interest in things like that, or the arts in general, introducing them to something like an R.L. Stein book, or when, when I was growing up, the kids version of horror was a show called, are you afraid of the dark? It was Are You Afraid of the Dark, which was a great show. It was a lot of fun. It was a spooky, scary kid show on Nickelodeon. And I mean, even though I loved the more extreme horror, I still watched that and I enjoyed it very much. Goosebumps had a series as well. And there's a great cartoon called Tales from the Crypt Keeper, which is a kind of a cartoon spinoff for kids based on the the show Tales from the Crypt. But I mean, that, that kind of stuff, in my opinion, is great as an introduction to horror for children. But yeah, I think, I think it's important that parents just pay close attention to their kids and figure out with them what is best for them. I, I don't feel that making a blanket decision across something like an entire genre of, of art, because I'm not just going to say film, because there is so much more to horror than just film, but I don't feel like that's a healthy thing to do. I, I think it, it, a, a child that's allowed to experience something like that, if they show an interest, of course, It'll allow them to grow into something they might not have otherwise. What was the last movie you went to see at a movie theater? And does your current appetite for films go beyond the genre of horror? Also, what would you say is the worst and which is the best horror movie of all times? All right. So the last movie I saw in theaters was Megan. And I, I, I don't frequent the, the theater very often anymore mainly because I just don't have time. I run a bunch of social media accounts for myself, plus the podcast, plus I work 12-hour days. Yeah, I just I don't have time. I, I love going to the theater, although I will say that the theater experience has changed quite a bit since, uh, since I was younger. I remember the first time, this is a bit of a tangent, but I remember the first time I stood in line at a movie theater. Uh, it was a brand new theater in the, in the city I grew up in, in Jersey. And the line was it, there were probably about 300 people in line waiting to get into whatever movies they were playing that night. It was, it was like a party. It was so much fun. Uh, the, the news was there. There were spotlights. There were vent food vendors. It was crazy. But yeah, it, so I don't, I don't see the movies in theaters very often anymore. But um, Megan was, I, I really enjoyed Megan. I know a lot of people didn't love Megan. But I think if you go into a movie like that expecting a, a 
piece of masterful art, you're going to be disappointed. I took it for what it was. It was just a silly, fun horror movie. And I think they hit the nail on the head with it. I, I really enjoyed it. As far as whether, you know, going beyond horror, I, I love, I love movies in general. I love film. I love the art that goes into making film. I do. And I enjoy comedy. I love rom-coms too. Um, this is, this is going to sound silly, but one of my favorite things to watch, especially around the holidays are Hallmark Christmas themed, like love story movies. <laughs> I, I absolutely love them. <laughs> to the chagrin of others. <laughs> but yeah, there I I don't know why, but I get I just tons of enjoyment out of those types of movies. My favorite or least favorite, I guess. I can start with that just to get that out of the way cuz this is what gets me uh kicked every time. Um it's actually a toss-up between two movies that everyone loves. It's the original Halloween, Michael Myers and The Shining. I think they are incredibly overhyped movies. I just, I don't know. I mean, it could have something to do with having ADHD, but The Shining to me was, it dragged on so much that I was just bored throughout the entire movie. And then that final scene where he's frozen in the, in the snow, it just, it's, it was comedy at that point. And that's not what I was looking for in that movie. And don't get me wrong. I can appreciate the effort put into it. I can appreciate the art behind it and how hard everyone worked. And it's a masterpiece in that regard. But as far as being an enjoyable horror movie to me, I just, I can't get behind it. I, I've never have been able to. And Halloween is just really no different than any other slasher in my opinion. But the main character is just a little bit more boring than the others. So many people hate me for this. Everyone that I talk to about this thinks I'm insane. Uh, and that I have no right to even talk about horror movies because I don't think that those two movies are the pinnacle of of horror. Yeah, that's that's where I land on that. As far as my favorite horror movie goes, uh, As Above, So Below. It's a movie about uh, a group of people who explore the the catacombs in Paris and run into uh, a lot of demonic trouble. It's a found footage movie, which I don't generally enjoy found footage films. I don't handle the shaking well. Don't get me wrong, I, I watch them all. But it, it, it gets tough to watch sometimes for me. But yeah, that is definitely uh, my favorite horror movie at, at the moment. And it, it's kind of an older movie at this point, so I don't see it changing anytime soon. But yeah. Let's talk about your adult ADHD diagnosis. How did that come about and how has your life changed since finding out about it? So being almost 40 and finding out that I had ADHD was, it was an interesting feeling, honestly. It was... It was a little, it was a little scary at first because I, I thought to myself, oh, great. Now I have this new situation that I have to deal with. I have no idea how to deal with it. I don't know what to do. And then clarity set in and I realized, wait a minute, I, I do know how to deal with this. I do know what to do because I've lived with it my whole life. And one of the things that I realized in, in this, this realization took weeks for me to process everything and understand what I was really dealing with and how to deal with it and, and all that. And not how to deal with it, but how to move forward with it, knowing that there was a way to deal with it. But I, I realized that my entire life, I had been looked at as lazy, incompetent, just no one ever believed that I was putting in as much effort into the things that I loved or even the things that I didn't love as I was. No one believed me ever. 
and people all the time, I was actually the poster boy for what not to be. I remember standing in my aunt's living room one day and she was talking to her son who had gotten in some trouble at school. And I was, I think, 15 or 16 at the time. And he was 13 or 14. And I overheard her telling him that if he kept doing the things that he was doing, that he was going to turn into Charlie. And you don't want that. And, you know, being that I'm Charlie, I didn't love hearing that. But yeah, that that was kind of how everyone in my family looked at me. They didn't want their kids to turn into what I was turning into. Because again, I guess from the outside looking in and not knowing that I had ADHD, it did look like I was just lazy or stupid or just didn't care about about bettering myself and growing as a person. Meanwhile, in my head, I was doing everything I could to grow as a person. And I, I did what I loved in the moment, which is a big thing with ADHD. Hyperfixation is wildly accurate. And that's what I would do. I would learn how to take apart and then put back together a TV and then never do anything like that again. And, and that's a, a specific example of something I did when I was a kid. I, I took apart my first TV and put it back together when I was like, I don't know, 11 years old. But I, I would hyperfixate on things and then never never readdress them again it would be like they never existed to me and that's something that carried on well throughout my life because i would jump from job to job to job and it was very problematic it happened with with college as well i i went to to film school in california and that all happened in a a month span of time i Decided I was going to go to film school and to backtrack a little bit. I had always wanted to go to film school. I guess that's kind of the one constant that has always been in my life as far as, as a decision that I consciously made, not just something that I loved or was inherently uh, a part of, but I had decided at a young age that I wanted to make movies and I wanted to, wanted to go to film school. And so no one ever believed I was actually going to do it though. And I mean, to a degree I didn't either, but one day after high school, which I dropped out of high school and then went back to high school. And that's a whole other crazy story. I, I graduated high school and decided one day after high school, it was probably, I don't know, a few months later that I was going to go to film school, that I, I just made the decision and that was it. I was sticking to it. And that was my hyperfixation at that point. Just so happens that my hyperfixation lasted long enough to actually get me out there to film school. But I told everyone that I made the decision and that I was leaving all the day before I left. No one knew I was doing it. No one knew I had applied. No one knew that I got accepted. No one knew anything. I just kept everything to myself, did everything on my own. Even my friends, I didn't tell them. Still not 100% sure why I didn't tell them, probably because I was worried they were going to tell my family and I was going to have to deal with the backlash of, oh, you're not going to finish this. It's just another thing. Just go get a job because that was the constant in my family. They all just wanted me to go get a job and just stick with a job and work for someone else the rest of my life. And then, you know, build a 401k and all that, have a savings, die in house after working. And, you know, it wasn't for me. That's not what I wanted. So that's, that's probably the reason why I didn't tell anyone. And so the day, the night before that I was about to leave to go out to California, um, I told everyone and everyone lost their minds. <laughs> My, one of my friends stopped talking to, talking to me completely and didn't talk to him for probably a year after I had left because he was so angry. And that, that next morning I threw my clothes in my car and drove across the country from Jersey to California to 
sleep in my car for a night or two once I got to California and waited for, uh, for the doors to open to, um, to get in. And, and, uh, that, that morning, you know, they, they, uh, did all the, um, paperwork and all that and, and gave us our, our dorm rooms and whatnot. And that was an, an interesting experience. And to, to hit on the ADHD thing again, if uh, I'm being completely real with everyone that, and this happens to people with ADHD a lot, that story that I just told made me completely forget the original question. And, um, yeah, so I went off on, I believe what was a tangent and got to where I am now. And that's a very normal thing that happens to people with ADHD. They'll start out answering a question. And as they go on, they'll tell more of the story and more of the story. And, and some people will look at it as babbling, but to someone with ADHD, it's not it. Everything we're saying is an integral part of the story. And if you don't get that part of the story out, then the story is not really told. And it kind of makes you lose track of, of what was originally asked of you in the beginning. And it's super frustrating to not just the people that ask the question, but it's super frustrating to us as well. Because we feel, we feel unintelligent. We feel, and I, I'm not trying to speak for everyone with ADHD, but I I've talked to a lot of people who feel the same way as I do about this specifically. So when I say we, I guess I'm referring to myself and, and the, the handful of people that I've spoken with, because I, one thing I don't ever want to do is speak for an entire group of people. That's not, there's nothing good about that, but yeah, I, just losing track of, of the process that your brain is going through to answer a simple question is something that that is a, a problem with ADHD. And I know a lot of people refer to ADHD, ADHD as a superpower, but I, I don't understand that at all. Because if if I could take a magic pill to stop it from doing what it does, I would do that today. You wouldn't even have to. I would I would be swallowing the pill before you could even finish telling me what it does. Let me say something about that, Charlie. Now, to all those people who made you feel in the past like nobody wanted to be like Charlie, well, Charlie has become a kind person, a caring person. I think you are super intelligent. You are very eloquent. It is amazing having a conversation with you. So I actually say we need more people like Charlie. And I know that that doesn't undo the message that's been that's been put out by people in in the past but i think you are a wonderful person and you live with adhd i mentioned at the beginning that 5% of people in the united states live with adult adhd or have a have an official diagnosis the number is probably higher than that so it is something that affects many people and i think we need to maybe have a little more compassion for people going through something that perhaps not everybody understands you did answer my question by the way <laughs> and i'm very happy with your answer because it's your answer i think it, it it explains very well to those who may not understand how adhd functions that this is what it looks like and this is and this is okay this is what it is now you mentioned to me that you want to build something that transcends yourself that you want to have that as your legacy what did you mean by that this is a this is a tough question for me because a lot of the times that i especially growing up when i thought about something like this i, I never felt like i was worthy of being able to leave something behind and 
as I got older, I realized even if I'm not, that doesn't mean I can't do it. Uh, as far as what that looks like for me, as I, as I mentioned earlier, my my love for the ocean is the the deepest thing about me. No pun intended there. It's it's the most important thing to me, with with the exception of of you know the people around me that I love, of course. But well, people and dog can't forget face. <laughs> I very much want to work with nonprofits in the future to toward building a, a, a better landscape for for the future in in regards to the oceans. And I think there are not enough people working at this. And then there there are there's actually one there's a company in Florida who an organization in Florida who is rebuilding the reefs down there. And I, I plan on reaching out to them at some point to figure out a way to work with them. And and also, as I mentioned earlier, I have a, a semi-decent following on social media on a couple of different accounts, and I'm going to be gradually um, introducing those people toward, to things in, in this realm and, and try and get more and more people on board. Right now, I'm, I'm in the process of just trying to build that that social media following and i would like to use that to benefit the world i am i know you know that there's a, working in social media or or becoming a quote-unquote influencer or something like that is incredibly lucrative and there are people that do it and make amazing money but i i've never really cared about money uh, as long as my bills are paid and and i'm taking care of bare necessities i don't i don't care about anything else but in order to do good in the world money a lot of the times is a necessity and i i want to help those organizations in a way that that i can and since i have the following on social media i feel that i can build that into something to help those organizations because they, they've already laid the groundwork they're already doing amazing things and i want to be a part of that i want to be a part of just in in whatever way I can, making the world a better place. And I think you can't, you can't make the world a better place if you're focused on everything. You can't change the entire world, but you can change a part of it. And, and that's what I want to at least try to do, which goes against everything that I, I said earlier in regards to having ADHD, because you would think that I'd be all over the place trying to fix everything at once. But it, it's strange because my, my love for the, the ocean supersedes any feeling I have for anything else. And it is the most important thing in the world to me to better that aspect of the planet before I go. It's the main thing that I want to do before my time's up. So if our listeners would like to support your efforts, if they would like to find out more about you, about what you do, about how they can help, how they can perhaps financially contribute, how can they get in touch with you? What can they do? Uh, yeah, so much like my my brain being scattered from having ADHD, there are many different things that I do in regards to social media. And I I'm always happy for, for people to find me and, and enjoy the things that I'm doing. I, I do have the, uh, the podcast that I'm doing. It's Conjuring Oddities. And it, but here's the thing, it's got, it's www.conjuringoddities. If you just go to conjuringoddities.com and don't put the www in front of it, it brings you to some weird site that I did not make. So I'm not really sure what that's about. Still trying to talk to the, the, uh, the provider about that and see what's going on there. 
but yeah, that's www.conjuringoddities. And that is the, the first uh, season, we'll say, it came to an end last weekend. And the, the next episode will be released in about three weeks to a month. But there are uh, 11 or 12 episodes up now, if anyone's interested. It's a horror narration in which I just, you get to, to hear this voice telling scary stories that I've uh, found across the internet. And then there's also other accounts that go uh, with that, TikTok, Twitter, which can also be found at www.conjuringoddities. And then there's my other two social media accounts. I have uh, another TikTok account and then a Clapper app account. The Clapper app account is, if anyone has Clapper, it's pretty much like TikTok, but a lot of people are moving to Clapper from TikTok because everyone's scared that TikTok is going to get banned. So I'm I'm at Driver Picks the Music on the Clapper app, and that's a, a supernatural reference for anyone that's interested. And then my newer TikTok account, uh, I'm sure that at least a few of your listeners are probably familiar with Roll for Sandwich, uh, the Adventures in Ardia account that that does the Roll for Sandwich episodes. Um, and then there are a ton of spinoffs. And I'm a little obsessed with ramen. So I started an account called Roll for Ramen to kind of, you know, be a part of that universe because I love it. I think it's so much fun. And I've I've released a few episodes of that. And the the following is has grown quickly on that account i'm i've only had the account for a few days and i'm already at like five thousand followers um and for TikTok, as far as i can tell that's that's pretty good and um, so i'm excited about that it's it's a lot of fun and that really was done so that i just i love making people laugh uh, i love making people happy it, the more happy people there are in the world the easier the world is to deal with so i want to contribute but yeah, if anyone's interested in in any of that, I'd love I'd love for everyone to come check it out. All of it. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, thank you, thank you for telling us your story, for being so open and honest with us. Now, I have one question for us to close this episode, and that is, what is your definition of happiness? This this question is um, something that I, I'm sure a lot of people would would struggle with, uh, at least from my perspective of, of life in general and because happiness is is so different to so many people I, w I i thought about it and and the first thing that popped into my head was i i feel like if there was nothing to worry about that would that would create happiness and after thinking about it for just another second i realized that that's not not really true for me anyway i feel like with without worry you can't necessarily grow if you have nothing to worry about what is there to fix what is there to take care of what is there to love and so I, I i think that and with a little help i realize that happiness for me is helping and and taking care of things and people and and making things better trying to make the world a better place trying to make people happier succeeding at doing those things on occasion is what happiness is for me. And even in the darkest of places, it is within our human capacity to find comfort, to ignite our inner light, and to work through trauma, pain, and torment. It is amazing to see how Charlie was able to not only process the awful things he had to live through as a child, but to also witness how he could turn his passion into something that will hopefully become the legacy he strives to leave behind one day. When I listen to Charlie's story, 
It is surely one of suffering, enduring, and desperately trying to find one spot in the world. However, more than anything, it is a story about love. His deep interest in the art of horror movies, his desire to put his heart and soul into educating others about the oceans, him wanting to make people laugh with his role for ramen TikTok videos, it's all love. The joy and sparkle in Charlie's voice when he speaks about those things, it may not undo his struggles, but boy, does it outshine them. There is so much light in the darkness. I genuinely hope Charlie will continue to pursue all those things and more because doing what you love and sharing it with the world is the most impactful thing a person can do. So my question for you this week is, what is your legacy? How do you hope to be remembered one day? What footprint are you going to leave behind? A footprint in the sand, perhaps? One that will be visible until it is washed away by the next wave of the ocean? Or are you going to leave a footprint that is stomped deeply into stone and meant to remain forever? I know there are some of you out there who have spent their entire lives feeling small, living in a cage with a thick cover over it, for nobody else to see. Well, Thoughtvolutionists, it is time to break free. Find your passion. Explore what you may or may not like. Find your spot, your niche. The days of trying to fit in are long gone. We don't need millions of clones doing the same thing, thinking the same way. We need the Charlies and Balins and Eric's and Aaron's, Jen's and Dallas's of the world. We need you. Uniqueness is not a flaw. It is the definition of beauty. If you would like to be on the show or ask a question, please go to thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. That is thoughtvolutionpodcast.com. It is where you can find all the links, our phone number, our merch store that supports the show and has the coolest church hoodies and hats. And thoughtvolutionpodcast.com might be where you go to begin finding yourself, either as a guest or as a listener. I cannot wait to hear from you. Please also make sure you find Thoughtvolution on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, and all big podcast apps out there. If you could do me a huge favor, please rate, review, and subscribe. There are so many people longing to connect with you through their stories, and the algorithm demands interaction. Every comment, every like really helps us out. Friends, we will be back next week with a story about beauty. That's all I'm going to say for now. Please don't miss it. Tuesday is Thoughtvolution Day. I love you lotsies, and as always, be kind to each other.